0: All right, let's turn to the book of Hebrews and chapter number eight. The book of Hebrews and chapter number eight. And, you know, I have really since, since I started preaching more through books, you know, for the longest time, um, I did preach through books, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was only doing it because On Sunday evening, the easiest way for me to have a subject to preach on Sunday evening was to try to preach an entire chapter. And so that's what I did, and uh, I sort of stumbled onto expository preaching, and I didn't know what I was doing. But as I've dug into these passages and uh, studied them a little more verse by verse, it's really been enjoyable because, you know, you find out how a certain passage of scripture fits into the overall picture of the thought that the author is trying to convey. And so we're getting here into uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter number eight, and, and we're going to read verses one through um, one through five, and we're going to see just how this is kind of continuing on what uh, we studied in verses or chapter number seven. And we're talking about the priesthood of Jesus being a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And the title of what um, what I'm sharing with you tonight, this lesson, is The Sum of Melchizedek. And I get that from verse number 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. <laughs> and so the author of Hebrews has just spent a, quite a bit of time explaining to us the priesthood of Jesus and how the priesthood of Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. And we dug into a little bit about the Levitical priesthood and and compared the Levitical priesthood to the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And so we've studied all of that. But tonight we're going to get into the implications of that, the sum total of that. Here's, Here's what I taught you about the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, and Jesus was ordained a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now this is the sum of that, or this is the implications of that. These are the benefits of those implications. And so, you know, one of the things we understand as you learn more about Christ, you know, some people will say, well, I know who Jesus is. He's a Savior. But as you learn more of the different aspects of the life of Jesus, there's more to be understood about Jesus than he's just the Savior. There's many facets to the life of Jesus and the sacrifice that he has made for us. So as we delve into the life and ministry and prophecies concerning Jesus, it will help our faiths to grow. You know, like, like we've been studying and, and studying through the book of Matthew, and, and once you start focusing on this book was written to prove to us that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus being the Messiah. And then as you're studying through the, the passage, you, you see things like, well, Matthew didn't write here that Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy, but you're seeing from this aspect of the life of Christ how he's exactly doing that. So, so your faith grows and you the more you learn about Jesus, the more and, and the sacrifice that he has made and more that you learn about his life and all that he was and the more your heart will grow in love for him and the more your faith will grow. and so as we study this, Mel- that the Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, it's going to increase our understanding. And as our understanding increases, our faith can grow and our assurance can grow. So let's read verses one through five. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have someone also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. And so the first thing we want to think about is the implications of Jesus being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the first thing that we see as we look in verse number one is the first implication of Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek is it says at the end of verse number one, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We have a high priest that sat on the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty. There's some things to think about here. First of all, think about that he's seated on the right hand of majesty. If you remember in the holiest of holies in the temple, um, there was no seat. As you go into the tabernacle, you know there were different pieces of furniture in, as you walked in the tabernacle, as you walked in the door, on the one hand you had uh, the candlestick that would shine the light, and then to kind of show that Jesus is the light of the world. Then on the other side you would have the table of showbread uh, that, that showed that Jesus is the bread of life, and then before you went into the Holy of Holies, that the, at the curtain, at the veil, you had the altar of incense where the prayers to God would, would go up from the people. And and then as you walked into the Holy of Holies, you had only the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. That's the furniture that was in the tabernacle. No seat was there. And I think we've talked about it before, but why was there no seat in the tabernacle? Because that work could never be completed. There would never be a time when the high priest, the work of the high priest was done. And again, we know the reason is, and we've talked about this in the last few weeks, but the reason is because those sacrifices could never take away sin. They were only given to roll back sin for the period of a year. So, so the blood of the sacrifice was going to be, uh, need to be continually offered before God because they, they could accomplish nothing. They could not bring a completion to the offering of sacrifice. And so there was no seat there. But here's our high priest, and he's seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Why is he seated? Because he's accomplished the work. It is finished, he said, as he was hanging on the cross. He took the blood, his own blood, and And he took it to the mercy seat in heaven. And he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And the wrath of God was satisfied. And the justice of God was satisfied. And the work of Christ as high priest in the offering for our sins was complete. And I think the point that The author of Hebrews is making here would resonate with these Jewish Christians. Because the Jewish Christians would, as they think about the tabernacle and they think about the offerings of sacrifice that was taking place there, and they thought about, as they were taught about the tabernacle, they would recognize there were no seat in the tabernacle. So it would resonate with them that the priest never, the high priest on earth could never sit down, but our high priest is able to sit down. And the place that he sits down is on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What is that? On the right hand of majesty. Who sat on the right hand of the king? Who sat on the right hand of the throne? Well, the one second in power and authority to the king. So we understand that when our high priest is sitting down on the right hand of the throne, you're recognizing that our, our high priest is more than just a priest. Our high priest is the coming king. He's the son of the father. And he's setting into place second in authority the right hand of the majesty of heaven, the glory of God. Now, the author of Hebrews has mentioned this. If you turn back to Hebrews chapter number 1, verse number 1 says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in his last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, So this right hand of majesty, the one that's sitting there, is the one that's the heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So this one sitting on the right hand of the majesty is the heir of all things and the one that made the world, who, notice what it says, who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, so So this one that's sitting on the right hand of the throne of of, uh, majesty is the one that is reflecting to us the glory of God. It's the express image of the person of God. And it is the one who holds all things together. The glory and the majesty of this one. And we can't grasp that. You know, when we try to talk about seeing the majesty of the throne. And you go to the book of Revelation and you open up and you begin to look at the throne and where when John well let's just turn over there real quick to I think it's Revelation chapter number 4. I think that's where it's at. Yeah, Revelation 4, one. And after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately as I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in the heaven, and one sat on a throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine sown. And there was a rainbow round about, in the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. And four, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had crowns on On their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. As we read that, maybe in our mind's eye we draw a picture. Maybe we can get a piece of that, maybe, get a decent picture. But our hearts aren't filled with awe as we read that. Our hearts aren't filled with wonder. But what happens, what's going to happen when we see that? I mean, when when I'm talking here about Jesus sitting on the right hand of the throne of majesty and trying to explain to you the glory of what that is, I mean, you're like, okay, it's glorious and it's wonderful. Whoa. But remember when Isaiah stepped into this and got a picture of this. Remember when Isaiah got a picture of the glory of God. What happened to him? He fell on his face. and He said, oh, woe is me, for I am undone. What happened when Peter, James, and John, we just talked about the transfiguration. What happened to them when they got just a glimpse of, Of the glory of God they fell on their face words can't describe the glory and the majesty of the throne of heaven one day we will experience that but if we truly could get a grasp of the glory of the throne our face would we would fall on our face because of the glory of the majesty But this one that is our high priest is sitting there second command, second in authority to the Father, and he's full of the glory of God. He is the express image of his person. The author of Hebrews is using the best language he can to try to get our hearts to center in on the glory of the throne. And this picture that he's giving here of him sitting on the right hand of the throne of majesty is a suggestion of him coming back to the place which he had previously inhabited. Let's turn over to the book of Philippians in chapter number two. You know, there was a time when there was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there was a time when God the Father and God the Son made a covenant. And the covenant was this. The Father told the Son that I'm going to give you a people. And the Son said, you give me a people and I'll go and redeem them. I'll go and pay their sin debt. And so there was a covenant made between the Father and the Son. And this was sitting in the throne room of heaven before creation. Before they decided to say, let there be light, and there was light, there was this covenant made between the Father and the Son that the Father was going to draw people unto the Son, and the Son was going to redeem those people. There was a group of people called the elect that were going to be saved before the world was even spoken into existence. So we, we want to try to think about there was a time when there was a throne in heaven and there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There was God. Okay? I want you to try to picture that in your mind. And so, Philippians two five says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let, let, me, let me explain that to you. Who being in the form of God, thought that being... Equal with God was not something to be grasped onto. In other words, he was willing to surrender his position of equality with God. That's what he's saying there in Philippians 2, uh, 6. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant And was made in the likeness of men. So so when he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter number 8, when he says that he is set down on the right hand of majesty, what he's saying is this. There was a time when Jesus sat on the right hand of majesty of the Father. And there was a time when Jesus surrendered that. And what did he do? What does it say there in Philippians? of things in heaven and the things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what happened. God the Son is sitting on the right hand of the majesty. And He has made a covenant with His Father that He would come and pay the debt that was owed by His people. That He would surrender His Position of setting in second in authority and he would leave heaven and he would take upon the form of a servant and he would cloak himself in the flesh and he would live a perfect life and he would become the sacrifice for sins. And the author of Hebrews is telling us now... Now that he's accomplished that work, he's set down back on the right hand of majesty. He's ascended back to the throne, and he's sitting down in the position that he had before he surrendered it to come to the to the earth and take upon sinful flesh. If you've listened to my devotions this week, one of my devotions was based upon this. And I was just sitting at the house this week and I was studying this passage. And I begin to just think about what it must have been like on that day. I mean, God to Father and God to Son. And of course, I'm putting this in human terms. There's no day in eternity because God sees everything as one eternal now. But there come a time when it was time for the Son to go. The Son's got a job to do. The Son's going to have to leave heaven and come to earth. He's going to have to surrender his glory. He's going to have to cloak his glory, you might say. And he's going to have to cover his glory with flesh and step out of heaven and step down to earth. Can, can, can you imagine what that must have been like? Son, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to leave heaven. It's time for you to go and pay the price. Can you, can you imagine? And can you imagine the son sitting here, knowing what awaited him, and agreeing to go? That's why I wanted to sing, He Loves Me. Because if you consider that the Son chose to step out of heaven and step down to earth to redeem His people and draw them unto Himself, if you know that He has redeemed you, there should be no doubt of His love for you. There should be no doubt that any price that is called upon to be paid, He's willing to pay that price. If there's anything that you think, well, I don't know if He would do this for me. Hey, He stepped out of heaven and came to earth and took your sin upon His own body and died upon the cross for you. There should be no question about whether He'll supply your need according to His riches and glory. There should be no doubt. Does he love me? There should be no doubt about that. He stepped out of heaven to earth for you. Try to grasp that. You know what? We miss that. We don't, we don't, we don't really get it because we can't grasp what it was like to to be in the majesty of the throne. We don't. We, we can't grasp what it was like to be in that, that seat of perfection with the Father. I, I tried to think of, this week I tried to think about an earthly king and having a son. And a son going to go into a battle that he knew was going to cost him his life. And the father saying, Son, it's time for you to go. And the son saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going, Daddy. I'm trying to imagine what that must have been like. And then try to make that comparison there for us to see. One of the implications of Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek is he's our high priest who is set down on the right hand of the Father in the throne of majesty. And it means that he went into battle, and he fought the battle, and he died. But he came back in the place of victory, and he's sitting back at his Father's right hand. There's a lot there in that one verse that maybe maybe we miss and we don't concentrate on it enough. But Here's what I have in my notes. Can you picture in your mind's eye the prince rising from his throne, taking upon himself the tools necessary to accomplish his work, being clothed in sinful flesh, and setting out to accomplish his father's will? Glory amazing what the Son has done for us. But you see what the author of Hebrews is revealing to us. That because he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, he has completed the work and he has returned to the Father and he's sitting on the throne with his Father in the majesty of the glory of heaven. He has accomplished and completed His work. All because He loves you. Man. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for this time we had to be in Your house and to learn from Your Word tonight. And Lord, we didn't get very far. But Lord, we got far enough. I pray that You'll bless people as they consider these thoughts tonight. In the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.